Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You hear what John is saying? John is saying, listen, one day we're going to be just like Jesus. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to get a glorified body just like Jesus has one. And in the meantime, we purify ourselves because the expectant, imminent return of Jesus Christ means that we have to keep our lives in right relationship with him to be pure and holy before him because he could come at any time. Birthday parties and pop quizzes are both surprises. And while you may like the party more, you should still be prepared for the pop quiz. In today's teaching, Pastor Gary shares that the return of Jesus will be the ultimate surprise. No one knows when it's going to happen, but we're told to be ready for it to be prepared. You'll learn that purity is one aspect of this preparation. Because Jesus loves you and has rescued you, you can live your life following His blueprints, keeping your heart pure and clean. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke 12. We're going to be Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, as we carry on through the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke's somewhat like Sermon on the Mount that you find in the book of Matthew. You'll notice if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible that uh, almost uh, every single word in chapter 12 is in red because these are the words of Jesus. And we've spent thus far looking at the first part of chapter 12 where Jesus talks about warnings, worth, and witness. In those verses, just to quickly summarize, he made warnings about hypocrisy and hidden sin. Don't be given to hypocrisy. Don't uh, be given to hidden sin. But, you know, be genuine, be sincere, uh, not hypocritical. Uh, Then he also talked about our worth. Uh, He talked about how we're worth more than sparrows. He said, you know, the very, just to kind of talk about how close the Lord is to us, that how concerned he is for us, that we're more valuable than sparrows, and that he even knows how many hairs are on our head. And then he talked also about our witness. He said, you know, just be sure that you acknowledge me before men and that you trust the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say as you go about being a witness for Jesus. And then also here in chapter 12, we talk about wealth and worry. 
he told us uh, in this 12th chapter concerning wealth uh, that you should guard against greed. You should be rich toward God. There's never a problem in the Bible with being wealthy. The only problem is when wealth controls you rather than you controlling the wealth. And I mentioned giving breaks the grip of greed. So if you really want, if you feel that you're somewhat greedy and covetousness and that money is a problem, learn to be generous because you cannot be generous and greedy at the same time. And if you are generous, it breaks the grip of greed. And then, um, then he also talked here about the issue of worry. Now that's verses 22 to 34. And he, he says, look, you know, your father's going to take care of your needs. Your father knows all your needs in advance. He's going to take care of you. And then he compares it to like the lilies of the field. He said, you know, don't worry about clothes uh, because the lilies of the field, you know, they're beautiful. But your father knows what you have need of and he'll keep you clothed even more beautiful than the lilies of the field. They look beautiful, but God will make you look fine. So don't worry about it. He also compares uh, life to ravens. He said, you know, ravens. You know, God provides food for them. You don't see ravens, you know, flying around neurotic, you know, wondering where the next meal's coming from. You don't see any ravens crying. You know, I haven't seen any ravens crying. So he says, you know, lilies of the field and ravens, you know, don't, don't worry. God's going to take care of you just like he took care of them. Seek first the kingdom. All these things will be added unto you. So that's the deal there. Now, that's where we left off here, verse 35, this issue of watchfulness. And he's going to talk here about his imminent return. The transition here is this. He's basically saying, okay, don't be so focused on your temporal worries, like money and what to wear and what to eat. Don't be so consumed with temporal worries. Be more focused on eternal hope. And in that, he's trying to change our perspective from getting so wound around the axle concerning the horizontal, the temporal, all these. And we need to be concerned to some degree, okay? But we have to maintain an eternal perspective in life. There will be difficulties sometimes financially. There will be difficulties sometimes with the things that we have need of. But he reminds us, your father knows, so don't worry, and keep your eyes on the bigger picture. And the bigger picture has to do with his ultimate return, and us being with him forever. So he's shifting here from the temporal worries to eternal hope. And he says here in verse 35, Be dressed ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Now, let me just pause there because I can't keep reading any further without just... I don't know anybody else who who is stuck where I am here, but if you grew up in the 70s and 80s like I did, and this verse here in verse 35, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. There was a song where you'd sing it kind of in Sunday school, even in youth group. I remember in youth group singing, give me oil in my lamp. Remember that? Keep me burning, burning, burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. And just repeat that. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Okay, you know that song? And then it had other, and then you added other things to it. That's what I think of when I hear this. You know, keep your lamp burning. I hear that song, and now I've given it to you. So that so you can hear that jingle all through your head, all through the night. Because then as the 70s and 80s moved on, people started adding little stanzas to it. Remember, give me gas in my Ford, keep me trucking for the Lord. You remember that? (laughs) I'm not making it up. Isn't that cheesy? 
But we were singing that in youth group. And my favorite was, give me wax on my board, keep me surfing for the Lord. You remember that? So ridiculous. But we were like into that song. Yes. I'm going to serve the Lord, keep my lamp burning, give me the wax on the board, give me serving for the Lord. Anyhow, I just wanted to share that with you. Get it off my chest. I feel better. Let's move on. So he's saying, you know, be ready, though, and be prepared. Verse 37, he says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. That's very interesting. And he says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. And then here's the key, verse 40, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So those are kind of the bullet points under this section here of watchfulness. Be ready for the Lord's return and wait patiently for the Lord's return. He's going to talk about that a little bit further down. But here he is talking in the context of, you know, in language that they would have understood, you know, keep your lamp burning. You know, they didn't have electricity to flip on a switch. So, you know, if they wanted to be ready, they had to have lanterns that were, you know, lit with oil in them and being prepared and being watching and being ready. So he's putting this in terms that they and we should understand that the imminent return of Jesus Christ means that we should be watching and ready people. We should be watching and ready people. There is not, when it comes to the second coming of Christ, listen, there is not another prophecy in the Bible that has to occur before the second coming of Christ. There are still more prophecies in the Bible related to the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom after Christ. But in terms of what has to still take place before Jesus can return, ever since 1948, when the prophecies of Ezekiel mentioning the dry bones in the wilderness, referring to the ancient people of Israel, that the Jewish people coming again, dry bones, taking on flesh, once again becoming a nation. Ever since 1948, when Israel became a nation, there really is nothing left now that would cause the delay of the return of the Lord. He could literally come at any moment. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself, why doesn't he just tell us? I mean, have you ever thought that? Has it ever passed through your mind? Why doesn't he just tell us? You know, I'm coming on such and such a date, and then you'd be more ready, right? Now think about it. Why does he not tell you the date? And maybe he says you should know the seasons, you should know the times. He doesn't tell you the date. I'll tell you why he doesn't tell you the date. Most people, ourselves included, most people live on the extremes. I mean, we just do. I don't know why it is, but most people find it more comfortable to live in the extremes. Uh, just in general. And um, it's not always healthy. I'm just saying that a lot of times we gravitate towards the extremes. So let's just say that, that Jesus somewhere in the Bible had said, I'm going to return. And I'm just making up a date, okay? Don't stone me. I'm just making up a date for, for purposes of illustration, okay? I'm going to return, you know, September the 23rd, 2050, okay? Now, people living on the extremes, here's, here's what would happen. The people who, you know, as Christians, who know, okay, that's the date, great, he's going to come again. I'm just, I'm not going to get a job, I'm just going to sit around and wait. I'm just going to wait. Why 
build for my retirement. I mean, he's going to be back 2050. So, you know, it's just around a corner. And this is exactly what happened in the Thessalonian church. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, you see the, Thessal- the, the people of Thessalonica, they were waiting for the imminent return of Jesus. And that's because in 1 Thessalonians, Paul was telling them, he's going to come again, he's going to come again. The people of Thessalonica thought, well then, we might as well sit around and eat ho-hos. Do they still make ho-hos? I don't even know. We're going to sit around and eat Dunkin' Donuts because he's coming back. And that's when in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, hey, listen, if you don't work, you shall not eat. And he says, stop being idle and lazy, get a job and work and wait expectantly, but don't just sit around and do nothing. So you have that extreme. Well, if he gave me a date, I would just sit around and do nothing because I'm just waiting for Christ to return. You know, who cares about my mortgage payment? Yeah, I'm going to go up in the heaven sky anyway. Who really cares? And then you have the other extreme. Well, if Jesus isn't coming back till 2050, I'm going to live like the devil till 2049. (laughs) You have other people who are just going to be, I'm just going to live however I jolly well want to, and then I'll just get my act together in 2049 and have one good year before he returns. So that's why he doesn't tell us. He keeps us guessing. Despite the fact that you have, you know, numbskulls like Harold Camping who have put dates on the return of Christ. Listen, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you exactly when Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you ready for this? Jesus Christ is coming back when you don't think he's coming back. Because that's what he says right here. He says, I'm going to come when you least expect it. It's going to be a time when you're not even nearly focusing on, oh, the Lord's going to return, the Lord's going to return. No. He says, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. He talks here um, in verse 38, could be the second or third watch of the night. And they divided their time. The first watch was 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. because the day for a Jew began at sunset. First watch was 6 to 9 p.m. Second watch was 9 p.m. to midnight. Third watch was midnight to 3 a.m. And then the fourth watch was 3 a.m. to, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So Jesus said, you know, I, I could come second or third watch. I could come 9 p.m. to midnight. That would be the second watch. I could come midnight to 3 a.m. Hey, guess what? Jesus could come at weird hours of the, of the middle of the night. And this much we know to be true. Be ready. He's going to come when you don't expect him. And somewhere around the world, it'll be 3 a.m. You know, somewhere it's going to be the second watch or the third watch. When Jesus comes... It's going to be a different time somewhere, although in some sense time uh, will stand still. Uh, but Jesus says, you know, here basically, be ready. Be ready. Now, the fact that we don't know exactly when he's going to return uh, is also another reason to be pure. And in fact, I'm going to give you two verses. Uh, you don't need to turn there because I'll read them before you can find it. First John 3, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what it says. Dear friends, now we are children of God. This is 1 John 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But when we know, but rather he says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You hear what John is saying? John is saying, listen, one day we're going to be just like Jesus. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to get a glorified body just like Jesus has one. 
And in the meantime, we purify ourselves because the expectant, imminent return of Jesus Christ means that we have to keep our lives in right relationship with him to be pure and holy before him because he could come at any time. Now, John didn't only say it. Peter also said it in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 12. This is what Peter says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. This is what Jesus also said. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And then he answers it. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. John says it. Peter says it. Jesus is saying it to us. you got to be ready. You don't know when the Lord is going to return. It, it could be at any time. And, and there's this difficulty here when you look at what he says back here in Luke 12. He says, you know, he kind of compares himself to a thief. You know, if you had known what hour the thief was coming, you would not have let your house be broken into. It's not that he's comparing himself to a thief. He, he's comparing himself to a, a being proactive so that a thief, you know, you, you don't sit around uh, and just, you know, wait for a thief to break into your house. You're ready. You're guarded. You're on alert. And in the same way, he's making the comparison of being ready and on alert and guarded. He's not saying he's like a thief in that sense. He's just saying, have the same disposition of vigilance that you have when you think about your own home and a thief potentially breaking in. Have that same vigilance when it comes to my imminent return. Be watching, be ready, be prepared. Now, verse 41, Peter asked, Lord, are you telling the Spirit about us? Or to everyone. <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm not sure what his point was behind that. Just, you know, Lord, is this just for us? Is this kind of like a personal thing you're saying? Or is this for everybody? Well, the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Well, that's some strong, that's salty language right there, isn't it? So Peter's like, is this just intended for us or for everybody? And Jesus is basically saying this is for everybody. And he uses, again, kind of parabolic terms here when he says, you know, it's like a master, you know, puts a servant in charge, and we have to be good stewards of everything that he's given us and the relationship we have in him until he returns because he needs to find us faithful. What have we done with what he's given us? And I'm not just talking about material stuff, talking about your relationship with Christ. What have you done with that? You know, what have you done with that? Because the master's coming, and he's going to look to see who is faithful. And he talks here about two kinds of people here. He basically talks about uh, the arrogant and the ignorant. He talks about the arrogant and the ignorant. The arrogant say, in verse uh, 45, my master's taken a long time in coming. And so then he's just going to live like a rebel rouser. And then he begins to beat the men's servants and maid servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. In other words, his life is not consistent with 
His behavior not consistent with his belief. He's not really living for the Lord. He's just kind of, again, it's living in the extremes. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I'm just going to live how I want to live. And I'm just going to, you know, go get drunk and be careless. And, and that's the arrogant. But then there's the ignorant. When he talks there, um, well, first of all, the arrogant, the penalty for the arrogant is that he will come uh, and cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So he's basically saying the arrogant one who thinks, well, the Lord is long in coming and then lives his life in such a way that actually reflects the fact that he is not even a believer, he'll be judged for that. But then he goes on in verse 47, he says, that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. Verse 48, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment, will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. It's very interesting the way he frames this, and it's a little difficult to interpret, but again, basically he's distinguishing between the arrogant who say, you know, Jesus is just a long time in coming, I'm going to live however I want to live, and has no real regard for living out his belief. His behavior actually demonstrates that he's not a believer. Therefore, when Jesus returns, he'll judge him and cast him with the unbelievers. But then he adds here, but then there's some who don't even know. And he says that they will be punished, but not as severely. And they will not be lumped together with unbelievers. There is, you know, God makes gracious provision for the ignorant. I don't understand how all that works. You know, I know that that is a major argument that people have against Christianity who are skeptical. You know, well, what about the person who never heard? What about some guy on the island who has never known? Or you mean to tell me that God's just going to send him to hell? He never heard the Bible, never owned a Bible, never heard anything about the truth. That guy on the island, you mean to tell me? And usually when people say that, they're just deflecting their own accountability onto the guy on the island. Okay? Because the real issue is, don't you worry about the guy on the island. God will take care of the guy on the island. The real issue is, what about you when you stand before the Lord? So most people don't want to deal with their own sinful state, so it's easier to just deflect onto some uh, you know, mysterious, mythical guy on an island. But in the end, look, if you know and believe that God is just and true and holy and right, you know, Peter says, it would have been better for people never to have known than to have known the way and turn their backs on it. So there seems to be some way that God makes gracious provision for the ignorant. There's still an accountability because Paul says in Romans that, you know, no one can claim complete ignorance because even creation testifies that there's a creator and the commandments testify that there's a creator and conscience testifies that there's a creator. That's what Paul says in the first couple of chapters of Romans. And he says, so therefore no one is without excuse. And Jesus even says here that the one who doesn't know uh, will receive punishment, but it won't be as severe. So there's some still accountability. And yet at the same time, God makes gracious provision for the ignorant versus the arrogant. And in the end there, he says, again, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So the punishment will fit the crime, so to speak. That God is just, and in his judgment, he will judge us according to personal accountability. How much did you know? How much were you aware of this? And it'll be proportional because God is just and fair and true. Well, reading on in verse 49, he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. 
but I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know